Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. The first thing I'm going to talk about today is an event that's become well-known all over Central America. It's called Sunday Fun Day. And basically, it's a huge backpacker party. Not really limited to backpackers, but a huge party that backpackers go to. And they've now decided to come to San Juan del Sur specifically for this party on Sunday. It's hosted by some friends of mine in town that own a hostel called Pachamama. And it's become one of the biggest party hostels in Central America. So every Sunday, it's a party that starts out at one little hotel called Animar, right in the middle of San Juan del Sur. It's got a little pool area. Well, they set up a DJ in the pool area, and then they just start piling backpackers into the pool area. As many as they can possibly fit. And there's huge speakers and loud music, and no one wears hardly any clothes. It's... It's basically like a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm just, I'm just waiting for people to start turning into pillars of salt. So the program is as follows. You buy a ticket from the hostel on Sunday morning, and people line up and line. People wait for like two hours to buy tickets. And what that ticket gets you is admission to and transportation through these three locations. And so for 30 bucks, you get a T-shirt, entrance to the party, which it progressively moves, so they put everyone at one spot and they transport everyone to the next spot. And they transport everyone to the next spot. So if you're 30 bucks, you get the transportation to these different locations. And then you also get a t-shirt and they've been going strong now for, I think almost two years or maybe over two years. And I, I don't think they've missed a Sunday and they, they just kept growing and growing. So I think the last one that I went to, which was just this past Sunday was like 760 people. They had to hire out a couple school buses to help transport everyone because what happens is they go into these in the hotel or wherever the party's at. They get extremely wasted, and then you have to transport extremely wasted people to the next party. And the thirty bucks doesn't even include liquor. That's just the t-shirt entrance and transportation. But when you walk in there, I always go to the one at Animar just because that's it's the most fun. And my friends have like a little private balcony area that we can go up to and not be down inside the chaos. So I compare it to going to like the the monkey house at the zoo. Whenever you walk through the building and then you look through the window 
and you can see into what the monkeys are doing. That's, that's about what it's like going to Animar when we're up on the top balcony because you see some stuff that will make you blush. People wear extremely small bikinis, and guys will wear Speedos sometimes. And it's just, it's just too much. It's too much guy skin for my, for my preference. Anyway, so they, they cover themselves in glitter, and they write in like body paint all over themselves. And if you go to Sunday Funday, even if you go up on top to the balcony where there's not many people, you'll still come out with glitter on you, and it will be on your skin for the next week. For some reason, glitter does not come off. If they could build airplanes out of glitter, they'd last forever. So this past Sunday, they were so busy, or they had so many people, they needed all the help they could get managing the people. And it's funny because my friend Gio, who owns, or he's one of the owners of the hostel that puts this thing on, he calls it the, uh, the walking dead. Because if, you, if they're like walking down the street, if they're all going somewhere or they're done with the party, they come walking down the road and it looks like, like a group of zombies that are just walking down the road that don't really know where they're going or anything else or what day it is or what planet they're on. And they go and search for food. And it's, it's funny. You can spot them from a mile away. It, it looks like a scene from the Michael Jackson thriller video with no dancing. So I got to help uh, be security with the unruly walkers. And it was fun. I mean, we would stand there in a line and someone would come up. We're, we're, our goal was to try to keep 700 people from rushing out of this gate and trying to get on one school bus. So we would, we would hold them at the gate. So someone outside the gate would say, okay, here's a, here's a shuttle or here's a taxi. We need 30 people. And then, so I would release 30 people and then they would go get on the bus or whatever. And what's funny is that you would count, you know, 29, 30. This is what my cell phone sounds like when it rings. Sorry, that was my friend Pedro the Butcher calling me. I'm not sure what he wants. Probably to come over and eat. Anyway, so back to the story. We were counting the people, letting them through. You'd go 29, 30, and then without fail, between 30 and 31, it's like, no, but she's my best friend. Or it's like, no, he's my boyfriend. Or no, it's my girlfriend. And I would take great delight in saying, okay, then no, then both of you stay. Or one of you go. You're all going to the same place. They say, "But it's my friend. He's she's with me. We're traveling together." I say, "Yeah, I know that. And we're, you're all going to the same place. So one of you can go, or none of you can go. But both of you cannot go." But she's my best friend. And and everything you can imagine. But there's four of us, and I say, "Right. So one of you can go, and the other three can stay, or all four of you can stay. We'll find someone else." Reasoning with drunk people is extremely fun as long as I don't have to be the one that, that deals with the outcome of their decision-making because the, I take great delight in, in someone who's completely drunk and just completely messing with them. And just to see the reaction and to see how squirmy they get and see how big of a temper tantrum I can get them to throw and so that's what I did for about an hour and a half on Sunday. And it was like blazing hot out in the sun, but I didn't care. I was sitting there messing with drunk people, entertaining no one but myself. And that's something that no one can take away from me. So that's the lowdown on Sunday Funday. You hear me talk about it before. And you can Google Sunday Funday and you'll find everything you need to know. And they always post pictures of Sunday Funday on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. And I always think to myself, there's no way 
that someone can know whether or not this is from yesterday because the, all the pictures look exactly the same. It's just people partying in swimsuits next to a pool. That is the common theme. And some of the pictures, I'm sure, are a little bit different. But for the most part, they all look exactly the same. They're at the same place. They're at the same time of day. Everyone's wearing the same clothes. And a lot of backpackers look the same. This past Monday was a holiday. And I'd been taking like two weeks off from working out because I hurt my back. So I woke up Monday and forgot it was a holiday. And I was ready to start working out again. Two weeks off, plenty of time. Back's feeling good. So I get up and I decide to go first thing in the morning and I get to the gym and sure enough, it is closed because of the holiday. So I thought, well, I'm in town. It's early. I haven't eaten breakfast. The gym is closed. I think I should get some breakfast. So there's a little open air market right in the center of town and they sell everything from flip flops to produce to meat to breakfast, lunch and dinner. So everyone just calls it the market, just called the market and every little town or every, every town in Latin America, Central America, wherever, has open-air markets where people go to shop. And they're subsidized by the government because there's no possible way that they could produce food as cheaply as they do. Because what you can get for a market breakfast like blows Denny's out of the water as far as quantity of food for price. So I got a, just a regular old plate, breakfast plate, Two eggs, cooked anyway, a giant pile of rice and beans, a slice of avocado, a big, thick, homemade corn tortilla, a little chunk of smoked Nicaraguan cheese, and a big, fresh juice. And I got passion fruit. And the price was $2.22. And then I gave a dollar tip, so it was $3.22. For a breakfast. And I'm telling you that breakfast will stick with you until three or four o'clock in the afternoon. So on days that I'm gonna be out sailing all day and I'm not gonna have anything to eat, I'll eat that breakfast and it holds me over just fine. It's two dollars and twenty-two cents. And whatever you do, do not get the ranchero sauce. Because you guessed it, it's nothing but sugar, onions, and ketchup. But as I was walking to the market to get my $2.22 breakfast, I was kind of taking note of the road construction and what all they had done. And it's, it's done. The road's been already repaved. They've painted the lines on it. They've painted the curbs. For some reason, they paint all curbs here yellow. And I think it's the most tacky thing, but they do it, and they love it. So the curbs are all yellow up and down the road. And so they, they built these little uh, bases for lamp posts to put, like, decorative lamp posts by the street. And it's a really good idea, and I think it'd be cool if they get some nice posts up there. And it was a really cool idea. I thought, man, it's going to look good if they get some posts up, but you know, I also thought they'll probably never install lamp posts. Well, sure enough, the other day they did. And before I saw any lamp posts installed, I looked at the column bases, or the bases for the posts to sit on, and they're all directly underneath awnings that come out from the building. So the building will have like a canvas awning that comes out and hangs over to shade the sidewalk. Well, every single one of them was underneath those awnings. And I thought to myself, I bet that that's going to give them a perfect excuse to never put up those lampposts because they're going to say, well, we can't because there's awnings here. And they didn't put them right up next to the road to leave, you know, the sidewalk open as wide as possible. They put the lamppost directly in the center of the sidewalk. So if you're walking down the middle of the sidewalk, You've got to dodge lampposts one side or the other. 
And if someone else is coming, you got to make sure you're both on the same page to go to the right direction. Otherwise, you end up picking the wrong direction and smashing into each other face to face. So anyway, so I looked up and I thought, oh, wow, they installed one of those lampposts. And I looked up and I said, but they didn't de-install the awning. So what they did was they just cut a circle in the awning about 14 inches in diameter. Keep in mind that the light post itself was about three and a half, four inches in diameter. So they cut this gigantic hole in the awning, and then they dropped the lamppost down through the hole and connected it at the base. And I thought, man, that is perfect. I, I wouldn't have expected it any other way. And then they painted the bases of the, of the posts yellow so that they match the curbs. A couple nights ago, I was sitting outside on the back porch, which is my custom. I don't sit inside the house. So I was sitting out there, I don't know, reading or probably listening to a podcast. And I'm puppy sitting Zach's dog, Suge, right now. And she's like three-month-old pit bull. And I looked up and she's kind of growling and jumping around and barking and like play bowing and just acting funny like a silly puppy. And she was looking underneath a bench. I have got like a wooden bench that sits right next to the wall. And below the bench, I have like grilling supplies, charcoal, wood chunks, all that stuff. So there's kind of some space to get behind things back there. And so I look up and she's kind of about a foot away from it, you know, barking and jumping up and down and getting all excited. And I think, man, she's got just a little June bug or something. Well, then I look and out from the other side comes this gigantic toad. I mean, when I say gigantic, I'm talking the size, like the minimum size sphere that this toad would fit in would be like a little bit bigger than a softball. I mean, it was huge, biggest toad I've ever seen. And I'd heard stories about the toads down here being poisonous. And I thought, well, they're probably not that poisonous, but I didn't want to risk it. So I grabbed Suge and I put her in the crate and then I went and got my iPhone or my iPad. And then I went and grabbed something to take a picture. I took a picture of it and then ran the frog on his way. And then I looked it up and sure enough, it's called a cane toad, C-A-N-E toad. And they secrete some white milky substance whenever they're threatened. They don't spray it. They don't shoot it or anything. It just comes out of some glands. And if a dog consumes that toad, I I read online, not heard from a Nicaraguan, but read online that they'll die within 15 or 20 minutes. So that was pretty scary. I told Felipe about it, and I said, kill everyone you see. He's like, okay, yeah, no problem. And then I was showing the picture to Ronnie, and he had no idea they were poisonous. He didn't even know that they could hurt you. So I've heard stories about people's dogs grabbing them, and the dog shakes them, and they secrete that liquid and the dog spits out the frog, but then they go into like this tripped out state of like hallucinating from what I understand. They say the dog's eyes get all dilated and their mouth starts foaming up and they start looking around like in the air and it's, it's something goes on in their brain and it really confuses them. So luckily my dogs didn't go for it. I, I kind of wanted to watch them and see what to do when they saw the frog. Both of them just looked up, saw it and didn't even stand up. Bentley's ears kind of perked up a little bit, but she didn't even bother getting up to go towards it. So I'm ho- I'm hoping that that's because like of her age and she's starting to slow down and not and not because she was just worn out tired. Uh, I I think she'll leave it alone. I don't think she'll really go for it. I know Bronco won't. He doesn't care. He, he's probably scared of them. Uh, so I I felt better when I saw that. 
So I got a message from my friend Jesse the other day, and she said something like, hey, I've, I've got a surprise for you. I, I got you something in Managua. And I'm thinking, what in the world would she buy me in Managua? So she's like, do you want me to tell you what it is? And I said, no, no, no. I'll just, whenever I see you next, I'll get it. So yesterday, I went uh, sailing. Jesse lives with Jamie. So I, uh, I stopped by their place to grab Jamie because she wanted to go sailing with us. So Jesse ran out and handed me two cans of ice-cold Dr. Pepper. It's so funny because she remembered me saying a while back that, man, I miss Dr. Pepper. I, there's nowhere to buy it here. I hadn't even seen it in Managua. So she bought me two cans of Dr. Pepper, and I was so happy. I threw them in my backpack, and we went on the boat, and I took one of them, and I put it in the cooler, made sure it was really cold, so when we got to the beach, I was going to crack it open and drink it. And so that's what I did. We get to the beach. All of the passengers, customers are off in the water swimming, and I go and get it out of the cooler. And I show it to Gerardo. He's like our deckhand uh, that could run the trip with one hand tied behind his back, blindfolded. He's a badass. But anyway, I showed it to him. I said, Harder, have you ever tasted this type of soda? And he just kind of looked at the can and goes, no, no. And he was trying to read it. And he's like, Senior Pepper. I was like, no, Dr. Pepper. He's like, oh, yeah, Dr. Pepper. And he speaks, he speaks pretty good English. He's learning really well. And so I was like, no, Dr. Pepper. So I cracked it open, and I handed it to him. And I just sat there and just wanted to watch his face because – in Texas, like, there's no way you're past the age of five and don't know what Dr. Pepper is. So, and I was like, I get this overwhelming sense of jealousy. I was like, man, he's about to taste Dr. Pepper for the first time. Like, I would give a little bit of money to, to be there because it tastes so delicious. And so I watched him, and he took a drink, and he huge smile across his face, and he's like, that is good. And I was like, I know, right? There's a reason why it's so famous not because of anything else, but just how delicious it is. So that was Gerardo's Dr. Pepper experience. First thing he asked was, uh, did, did you buy this in town? Where, uh, if I wanted to buy one, where could I go? I said, no, no. This was bought from some specialty store in Managua. They probably cost $3 a piece. And it's probably a good thing that they cannot be found in town because I'm sure I'd have like a case of $3 Dr. Peppers. Which, once again, it's funny because I never would drink real Dr. Pepper at home. I would never buy it. I would never have it. But when you can't have it, you just want it a little bit more. I was walking down the beach the other day, and um, I had the dogs with me, and the tide was out. And when the tide's out, the beach is really long. There's a lot of distance between, like, the road and the water because it's, uh, it's a big tide fluctuation, and it's a relatively flat area. So tide was way out. I was walking down, and I saw a guy lying on his back on the sand, with his head facing towards the water, just looking up at the sky. And the tide was actually starting to come in. And so I've heard stories that kind of are similar to this before, but I've never seen it with my own eyes. So I get to looking at him, and I know for a fact it's just a bum. It's one of these guys, they call them Hoyita guys. And I've talked about them before, but they buy the super cheap alcohol that's not much different than rubbing alcohol. It's just a neutral grain spirit. And they drink it, and they get obliterated, and they pass out wherever they fall. So this guy was probably enjoying a little beach time with his Hoyita. And, oh, and when I walked up, he had the Hoyita bottle hanging out of his pocket. And I thought, man, if I only had a camera, I didn't have anything to take a picture. And so I knew what was going on. He was a passed out bum on the beach 
tide was coming up, which could be dangerous. I mean, if he was there and the tide came up and people didn't help him, he would end up underwater and die. So I go up to him. I put the dogs in a sit kind of a way so they wouldn't freak him out. And by this time, people had seen me kind of looking at him, and they were kind of starting to gather around like a little circle because we weren't really sure if he was alive. I suspected that he was, but I wasn't 100% sure. So I kind of kick on him a little, like kick his leg with my foot and nothing. But I could tell it wasn't, like, wasn't stiff, so I knew he was alive because his body was still like a warm body, you know. And so finally I was like, in Spanish, I was like, amigo, I was like, the tide's coming in. You need to wake up. It's dangerous. And he'd like moved a little bit, kind of squirmed, and I said it even louder. I was like, you need to get up. This is dangerous. Sit up right now. And he kind of moved a little bit more and was kind of, you know, cracking his neck a little bit. His eyes were still closed. Finally, I was like, get up, you know, yelling at him. His eyes popped open. He sat straight up. And he's kind of wobbling, like, back and forth, like, kind of just, uh, like, a real slow wobble, trying to focus on me and and just trying his hardest to figure out what in the world is happening. And so I was like, hey, come on, buddy, get up. You know, the tide's coming in. And he kind of sat there and looked at me. And (laughs) before he he got out a word, he made the... uh, the uh, cigarette signal with the lighter with his left hand and then the two fingers with a cigarette in the right hand. And he was going through the motion of like lighting the cigarette and I could tell he was looking at me and this was his way of asking if I had a cigarette. And that was the first thing that he cared about. He came to, his life had just been saved before he even said thank you or what's going on. He, he wanted a cigarette. <laughs> and I had to bust his bubble and tell him I didn't have one. And I even asked everyone, I was like, hey, does anyone have a cigarette for this guy? Like, that's really all he wants right now. Like, imagine being in his shoes and all you want is a cigarette. Like, if someone gives you everything you want at that instant, how happy you'd be. But nobody wanted to contribute. So he never said a word. I told him I didn't have a cigarette. And he kind of nodded. And then he sat there for another 30 minutes, just sitting up, staring away from the water, like towards the road probably reflecting on life and then uh yeah about 20 or 30 minutes after he sat there he stood up pulled his hoida bottle out of his pocket took the cap off took a drink and just kept on walking (laughs) and i don't know why that story i don't know why i like it but if that could have been like a short film i think it would have won some awards i was in the gym the other day working out and i've kind of gotten to be buddies with this older guy no, no, not older. Old. Old guy. He's old. I don't know how old, but he's probably 75, maybe 70. And he really likes me a lot because when I go in there, I I take the radio that they have and I hijack it and I unplug their flash drive, which is just jammed full of reggaeton. And I think that the music that they play probably is from anywhere from like 1992 to 1996. And it's this loud reggaeton. Every song sounds the same. There's an occasional synthesizer, and they try to rap, and it's, it's Spanish. It's terrible. And no gringos like it. Everyone hates it. So I go in there, and I always take my iPhone, and I take this little cable, and I hook it up. I unplug the USB flash drive with their music, and I hook it up, and I just start playing music. And it's anything from... You know, hits from today to classic rock or whatever. I just put it on, like, shuffle. And this old man always likes it when I come in there because he's always in there working out. I show up, and I put on some good music. 
And so we kind of talk, you know, and uh, he's always oohing and on over me, like lifting weights. And I said, man, you are the one that deserves to be ooed and odd over. Like you are in here just getting it. And I saw him the other day, took off his shirt, and he's like ripped. He's like chiseled, this 75-year-old guy talking about playing volleyball, you know. And I said, man, this guy's got it figured out. So I was over in another part of the gym, and they have a rope, the kind that goes to the ceiling that you climb. And one of the trainers was in there giving a demo to one of his clients on how to climb the rope. And so the, the old man walks up there, and, you know, he's a gringo, white guy, and he's like, uh, I bet you I can climb that rope. And I, and I wasn't interacting. I was just standing back watching. And the trainer was like, go for it. Let's see what you got. And that man gets up there and climbed to the top of the building, like the, the ceiling height, which was probably 15 feet, on the rope, using only his hands. He put his legs out straight in front of him sat down on the ground, and then just climbed up real, real slow and gets to the very top and then climbs back down at the same pace. And I was like, whoa, that guy is my official hero. I'm going to ask him how old he is. I normally wouldn't do that, but I'll, uh, I'll report back. I'm, I'm guessing between 70, 75. I hope it's like 80, but I'll let you know. Speaking of older gringos, there's a guy in town, and I'm not going to mention his name because I don't know what could happen. He's not the most stable individual. But Zach used to work for him. So I came down here and I met Zach. Zach was working for this guy, uh, sailing his boat, taking tourists sailing. So Zach and I hit it off. We ended up putting this other deal together, got the new boat. Well, then when the boat got down here, Zach needed a crew. And so the crew also from the boat, specifically one guy named Byron, who also worked for this guy, left him and came to work with me and Zach. So this guy hates Zach. He hates me and he hates Byron and he hates a lot of people and he drinks all day, every day. He's just one of those typical drunk gringo expats who comes down here because they can't hack it anywhere else and they just live at a bar. And so I've had a couple interactions with this guy, not so much personally or one-on-one, -on -one, but he, everyone knows him. Everyone knows he's one of the town drunks and he just does crazy stuff. Well, last night, I decided after this incident that I'm about to explain that I needed to talk about this. Because once you find someone's car abandoned on a road three times within three months, it's worth talking about. So he lives right up the road from me, and I act like I have no clue who he is. I just wave at him, smile, super nice to him. I think he knows who I am. But anyway, he lives right up the road, and he drives this old, old red Toyota Land Cruiser that just barely is being held together. And I mentioned before on a previous show that it was found about 15 yards from my driveway, flipped over on its side, completely abandoned in the middle of the road. So that was one time. The second time was I was going down into town and I pull up behind it and I thought, well, he's, he's sitting in there like talking to someone on the road or something. So I pull up behind him and I couldn't get around him. I look and I could see that there's no one in the car. And I was like, what in the world? Like, he just left? I mean, I knew exactly whose it was. I was like, man, that drunk son of a gun just, like, left his car here, and now I can't get by. So I get out, and I'm looking around, and the little Nicaraguan family comes out, and they're trying to see what's going on. And they tell me whose car it is, and I, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly whose car that is. So I walk around the vehicle, and the rear right tire is being held on with just one lug nut. And all of the studs that the lug nuts typically mount onto were either broken or all the threads were wallered off. So it tells me he's been driving around with like loose lug nuts forever. 
And so it was now being held by one, and the tire was still, like, kicked at an angle, and I suspect that that's what kept him from going. Like, it, it stopped him. So I get out, and, like, all, by this time, all the little Nicaraguan families in the area are out, and they see me in a bind, and they're like, know that I'm trying to get by. So we all just push his car out of the way. It's, a, it's like a Jeep. So we get in there, put it in neutral. And it was hard to roll because that tire was so fouled up. It wouldn't, wouldn't really roll straight. It kind of go sideways. So we all finally got it. I got like six inches of clearance. They all spotted me, got me through there. We all cheered, and I was on my way. Well, then last night, I was coming home. And there's the, there a little spot where the road just kind of cut through the side of a hill. So, the, you know, there's walls on either side of the road. The road's just wide enough for one vehicle. And so I'm coming around this curve, and I see lights coming in the other direction. And I figured it's probably him because I think he's the only guy that lives up in my direction and has a vehicle. So I figured it was probably him. <clears throat> so I stopped, wait for him to come around the corner because there wouldn't be room for both of us to go through this one little area. And so once he sees my lights, he swerves off to, towards this embankment and runs up it. And he, he was like a frog hair away from flipping this thing over. So he runs it up on the bank, almost flips. It rolls back down. He jams it in park. And this time I'm thinking, uh-oh, what is this guy doing now? He jams it in park, jumps out of his truck, calls his dog. His dog's chasing him. It's this nasty little ugly pit bull. Dog's chasing him. He starts running towards my truck. I'm like, uh-oh. So I throw it in park. I get out, and I look him square in the eye, and he, I go, hey, buddy, you okay? He goes, yeah, yeah. Can, can, can you get by my truck? And I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, go, hurry, hurry, go. And so he screams at me to go, 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 and he starts running the direction down the road, the same direction that he was driving, but past my truck. He's running. He's got a beer in one hand, and his dog's chasing him. He's got no shirt on. And I'm thinking, this guy is a train wreck. So he runs way down the road. I mean, I'm just watching him run as far as he can possibly run, just a little dirt road through this Nicaraguan neighborhood. And his dog's keeping up with him. Well, there's an area towards the end of this road where all the mean dogs are. There's like six or seven dogs, and they're, they're pretty mean. And I thought, it's going to be interesting when he runs through the middle of these mean dogs with his dog chasing him. There's, something's about to go down here. So I watch and I watch and I watch and he finally makes it to the mean dogs and his dog knew where the mean dogs were and locked up the brakes, didn't, did not want to go. So he finally calls and calls and calls and calls the dog, has to go back and get it, Pick, picks up his dog, carries it through the mean dog area, puts him back on the ground and then just continues running full sprint. I said, well, I guess, I guess he's got somewhere to be. Meanwhile, he left his lights on in his truck. So I get in my truck, I go on past him, go home, and I started asking Felipe about it. I said, hey, did you see him come down in the, you know, the red Toyota driving like a banshee? And he goes, yeah. I was out there by the gate, and he drove by. And as he drove by, he just yells out, machete, <laughs> and just kept on driving. And Felipe said, he thought to himself, like, what in the world is he screaming machete for? Well, come to find out, and I found this out today from Ronnie, which I, I don't know how these guys get information to each other so fast, but Ronnie had already heard the story this morning when I woke up. And according to Ronnie, someone came into his house with a machete, and they were threatening to rob him. So he was going to the police station as fast as he could. 
And I guess when he got to an area that required two cars to work together to get through a really narrow spot in the road, he figured it'd just be faster to throw it in park and run the other five miles to the police station. So sooner or later, I guess he got back and got his vehicle. But I hope this guy keeps giving me more stories because there's nothing more exciting than a crazy, drunk gringo in a third world country that is a celebrity because of all the crazy stuff he's done. I love it. Today was the day that I met with the people from the residency association or I, I don't know. There's so many different acronyms for different government agencies down here. This was called MIFIC, M-I-F-I-C. I don't know what it stands for. I don't know what they do. I have no idea, but I do know that they're the ones that I had to pay for their way to get here and interview me. So they said they're going to be here at eight o'clock. They finally show up around 10 o'clock and they met me at the port office, which is where this is where we do some business with the the port authority regarding the boat and that kind of stuff. It's kind of like the Coast Guard's office, but don't think nearly as big and nice as the Coast Guard. So the lady, Patricia, who's helping me with my residency, definitely would not call her a lawyer, but the person who's helping me through the process, she knows people in the agency that, that can help get things done, knows the whole process. So we go there and we meet, and she interviews me. And she really wanted me to speak in Spanish to her. She didn't want Patricia to translate. So, you know, I'm there doing my best to answer the type of questions that I'm terrible at when it comes to Spanish. You know, it's all like the the past tense and the future tense stuff that really gets me. So we get through all that. And then I have a binder full of all of our documents for the boat, everything for the business, just in one big binder. So she needs to see the articles of incorporation for the business. So I just hand her the binder and think, like, she'll just look, look through it, and she'll, whenever she sees it, she'll stop because I don't really know what it looks like. So I give her the binder. She flips through it, hands it back to me, and goes, no. And I go, uh, no? She goes, no. So that's, like, their common answer for it's not here or I can't find it or I'm sorry, but I, I don't see it in here. Is there anywhere else it may be? And they just they simplify it by going, no. And so that's my cue of, Okay, now, now what? And she's like, well, you have to have that. And I said, okay, I, I don't have it, so now what do we do? She's like, well, you have to get it. And I said, it's gone. I will never have that paper. Somehow or another, it got lost while, before I lived down here. And she's like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm not, you know, she's really uncertain. And, and you know, I probably am an idiot for losing that paper because paper here is super valuable, especially if it's got an ink stamp on it. So this particular piece of paper had all kinds of ink stamps on it, and it was hard to come by, and it was lost. I don't know. Not really sure what to tell you. <laughs> it's my luck. One last piece of paper that I need to finish my residency, and no. I'll have to keep you updated on that. I don't know what's going to happen. You see, they don't have, like, a contingency program in place. They don't have something that was, well, if you lost it, then you can do this and this and that, and then bring us this, and we can go from there. It's just, no, like, it's up to you to figure it out. Uh, do your best to produce something that shows the same type of information, and when you get it to us, we'll decide whether or not it'll work. So that's where I am. I have to go to the courthouse in Rivas and try to get a copy of the Articles of Incorporation. But the kicker is that this lady that I met with at Mythic wants the original. She wants to just look at the original. 
she doesn't, they don't have to keep it. They have to have a copy on file. But she said that I need to bring her the original. Much like most projects, this is probably going to turn into a big ordeal. ¿Qué dice Pedro? What did you say? This is, this is what I deal with. This is Pedro the Butcher. He's mad because I don't answer. A veces, a, a veces mi teléfono no sirve porque aquí en mi casa no, no tengo un buen signal. ¿Me entiendes? Uh, poquito trabajo en la computadora, no más. Los, he's, he's trying to get me to go buy pigs. ¿Dónde está? ¿Dónde está el hombre? No, ¿dónde está el hombre que tiene los cerdos? Oh, Rivas. Ah, okay. Uh, a mi casa o Rivas? Oh, ¿quieres venir a mi casa ahorita? He wants to come to my house right now. ¿Por qué? Oh, okay, sí, yeah, no, no puedo ir a Rivas hoy. Uh, posible mañana, posible mañana podemos ir, pero mi, mi cuidador ya, ya tiene un amigo que, que tiene los chanchos a vender. Sí, pienso, sí. Marsella. Ay, Marsella, quizás donde los cutachas, entonces. Pero cerdo de granja. No sé, no sé. Bueno, entonces, ¿tú quieres que trepe ahí a tu casa para que veamos dónde, cómo se hacen los chiqueros, pero tú dices que los quieres tener a campo abierto? Ah, uh, sí, pienso, pienso, él tiene. Hey, Pedro, si está bien, yo, yo vengo mañana al, al mercado y hablamos. Sí, yo vengo a tu, tu uh, espacio mañana. Ok. Ok, gracias, Pedro. No, pues, buenas tardes. Ok, buenas tardes. That was Pedro the Butcher making sure that I knew that he knew where to get pigs. All right, I think that's going to wrap up today's program. Program. That's how my grandfather would say it. Program. Not program. Program. Interesting. Not interesting, interesting. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com. Oh, yeah, the uh, pig situation. I'll, uh, I'll give some more updates, but as of right now, we're still pigless. And I heard as of yesterday that they may have shifted gears, and now Ronnie and Ishmael are thinking about chickens. So I told them that they just need to pick one, and we need to get the show on the road. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Oh.